We've been looking at the book of Acts, and what we've been seeing is kind of some consistency of the move and work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we, we often call this the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, but I, I have proposed that it's actually the Acts of the Holy Spirit, that it is what he is doing. And we're seeing that this New Testament church, a church which is on fire in the Lord, that this church is fully dependent upon the Holy Spirit and they are relying upon him every step of the way. Um, they're fulfilling their mission by his power and under his direction. The Holy Spirit, of course, came upon them on the day of Pentecost. That's when we first see his moving, though he'd been moving up to that point. We see a dramatic encounter that the disciples, 120 of them, have in an upper room in Jerusalem and the Holy Spirit falls upon them. They're baptized with the Spirit and with fire. But that's just the first of many Holy Spirit moments throughout this book. In chapter four, we read that Peter was full of the Spirit. And because he was full of the Spirit, it enabled him to speak boldly to the rulers to the religious rulers of the day. And then later in that chapter, we see all the disciples gathered and they're praying. And where they're praying, the room is shaken again with the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon them. And, and it says that the Spirit filled them to the point that they spoke boldly the word of God everywhere they went. And then a few chapters later, we meet a young man named Stephen. And Stephen is so full of the spirit and of faith that even as his accusers are stoning him to death, he is forgiving them as his eyes are open to see Jesus who stood up in heaven to receive him. And then we hear about his friend Philip. And Philip is... Instructed by the Spirit, told by the Spirit to run up to an Ethiopian official who was in a chariot and tell him what the Lord would give him to say. And as he does, the eunuch comes to believe in Jesus and is baptized by Philip. And as Philip is baptizing him, he comes up out of the water and the Spirit whisks Philip away. And of course, in chapter 9, we talked about him the last two weeks. The church's worst enemy, a guy, a Pharisee named Saul, is apprehended by God. He's, he's chosen by Jesus. And it blinds him, the experience he has, and he's led into town. But the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that has done all of these other things, leads a brother in Christ, Ananias, to come and pray for Saul to receive his eyesight. And that Paul himself would be filled with the Spirit. You, you know, it's good to have a friend who will come and pray for you. Ananias was that kind of friend. The Holy Spirit is showing up all over the place. In, in every one of these stories, virtually every page, every chapter, the Holy Spirit is at the center of what's happening in this book. And while we certainly see these disciples uh, taking steps of obedience and praying and even strategizing sometimes, it's the Holy Spirit that is initiating what is going on and it's the Holy Spirit that is empowering how they're doing it. 
I love Cindy's description of what it means to live life in the spirit, that it is so much more than an experience with him, but it is a life in him, walking in him every moment of every day. Peter had these kinds of moments with the Holy Spirit. We've already talked about him being empowered to preach on the day of Pentecost and to be boldly being able to speak to the rulers of the day. And he has all sorts of experiences with the Holy Spirit. But maybe the most head spinning for him was his encounter with a Roman centurion named Cornelius. And this encounter It was a massive shift for Peter. It completely threw him off of his game because he thought he had it figured out what he was doing. Yes, he's following the spirit, but he kind of figures he knows the roadmap what's heading into, that he's heading into. But the spirit interjects something and changes the way he sees things. You see, Peter, along with virtually every other Jewish person, had been brought up to believe that God had chosen Israel and Israel alone as the singular expression of what he was doing in the world. But God's choice of Israel, and he did choose it, God's choice had created in them a blind spot. And I think that can happen to us. We can have an experience with God. He can choose us. He can anoint us and favor us. But if we're not careful, that experience will create in us a blind spot. Because the way we receive Christ by faith and his grace that gets us saved is the same way we have to live in him. And the moment we think we have it figured out, we've created blind spots to what he's after. They had this blind spot. They thought they were the only ones God would choose. That that his selection of them was exclusive to them. We're in, you're not, ha ha. Do we do that sometimes? Do we think we're his favorite? (laughs) We're the favorite and they're not chosen at the exclusion of others. There's a lot of church splits in the last 2000 years, divisions in the church that have come from this very thinking. We must remember that we are all saved by grace and our true love of others is essential. That is, as Brother Curtis likes to remind us, we are just one beggar trying to find, trying to show another beggar where to find food. And it's his grace that brings us all into that place of receiving. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. You know, Jesus had always challenged this this Jewish paradigm that they had, this exclusivity of thinking that they walked around in. Like with the Samaritan woman at the well, that is just not kosher. It is not the thing that Jewish men do, but Jesus did. And it led to her salvation and her whole village of Samaritans believing on Jesus. And when he healed the daughter of a Canaanite woman, and also the servant of a different Roman centurion, and said of both of these people, 
They had great faith, greater faith than all of those in Israel. What? Truth is, Jesus was always blowing apart their paradigms. He was always stretching their thinking. Like when he talked about having other sheep. They're like, what? Just move past that. And like when he told them, I want you to go and be my witnesses to all the nations. Was that just to show them what we have and they don't have? They didn't get it largely because their ethnocentricity had been hardwired into them long ago. And now in Acts 10, Peter is directly challenged about his own bias. He is challenged and stretched and he is about to have a new outlook. He had been praying. He was up on a, on a roof. He'd been praying and he got hungry. And so the Bible says that he started preparing food. And as he's preparing the food, he goes into a trance, which is something I do when I'm hungry too. <laughs> I know you're laughing because you do it too. You know, if it's food's not there in time, I just kind of take a nap. But he, he goes into a trance. And in that trance, he sees a vision. It's of a large sheet a four-cornered sheet that is lowered down out of heaven to the earth. And in that sheet, what's being carried in it are all sorts of animals that are unclean in the Jewish mind and reptiles and certain birds of the air. All things impermissible for a Jew to eat. And when he sees that, he hears a voice. And the voice says to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter is almost indignant. Oh, no, 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 no. I, by no means will I do that. I, no, I'm a good Jew. I have never eaten anything, uncom- anything common or unclean. He, he's arguing. I know I'm hungry, Lord, but I'm not that hungry. I would never disappoint you by eating a reptile or a bird I'm not supposed to eat. Kill it and eat it? No, 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 no. But then he hears the voice again. And the voice says to him, what God has made clean, do not call common. And he, he has this experience two more times. Uh, and, and it's blowing his mind. What is God saying? Is that, is that from the Lord? Is that God's revelation to me? Well, it's at this moment that it gets even more strange, this story, because while he's staying in this uh, house of, of a friend that, he, that no doubt is, he's been sharing the good news with, uh, three men that he doesn't know from Adam, they show up at his door and they knock on it and ask for Peter. And the Holy Spirit tells Peter, go with them without hesitation. Go. Now, I just wonder how many of us would have said, no, that's okay. That, that's, I'm good. I don't think I'll go. I wonder how many of us would have rebuked the vision in the trance as if it was something from the enemy. I wonder how many times the spirit of God is saying something to us and we talk ourselves out of it. Peter didn't do that. And that's to his credit. He was filled with the spirit enough. He knew the voice of the spirit that when the spirit of God spoke to him, though he did not understand he still chose to obey. We need to do that as well. And so he goes with these three men, strangers to him. 
And before he knows it, he's standing in the house of a Roman centurion doing something that Jewish people should never do. And he begins to get a clear focus on what this vision really means. Look with me at verse 25 of Acts chapter 10. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up, man. I too am just a guy. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. It's beginning to dawn on Peter what all this means, isn't it? So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. He still doesn't know why he's there. He's asking them. Verse 30. And Cornelius, the Roman centurion said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging. I love how, I love how the spirit gives such specific directions. This is just so great. It happens throughout the Bible. And I just, it's funny that we have that. I mean, it's like God is specific. So he's staying. Where's he staying, Lord? Well, he's staying. Where am I at here? Verse, uh, oh, he's, he is lodging in the house of Simon. He's a tanner by the sea. And, you know, they didn't have addresses then. They, so he had to give description as to where this Simon Peter was staying with another guy named Simon, the tanner in Joppa uh, by the sea. And so I sent for you at once and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. And Peter's mind is just blowing up. And so it says in verse 34, so Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Truly, I understand. I love revelation that comes from God. You ever there? Oh, now I understand. God has made it clear to me that he has no partiality and that anyone who fears the Lord and does what is right, it doesn't matter whether he's Jew or Gentile, he is acceptable to God. What a story. It appears that God can uh, do more than one thing at once. He can walk and chew gum at the same time, I guess. He, he's able to work in your life and still work in another person's life and then merge the two of you together for his purpose. And that's what he does with these two. All of this helping Peter to understand that God doesn't show partiality. 
He's, he's a much bigger God than I thought he was. And I walked with him for three and a half years, Peter must be thinking. And I, I can't call unclean what God has cleansed. Peter and Cornelius were about as different as you could get. Peter was a Jewish fisherman who had followed a master the Romans crucified. Cornelius was a Roman centurion and a member of the elite Italian regiment. Peter had no means. Cornelius had tons of means. Peter was dependent on the generosity of the church for a place to stay and food to eat. But Cornelius had a house big enough to invite everybody around to come hear what Peter had to say. But this is an unlikely duo. And the only thing they have in common truly is that God has chosen them both. God chose both of them. He will use opposites to accomplish his will. He'll even take polar opposites and put them together so that he proves that he is God and we shouldn't be partial. God uses them. It shows us a very important principle that's in the Christian faith. And that is that we are made in the image of God. The Imago Dei. We are made in God's image. And no matter your race or your culture or your socioeconomic status or your background or your wealth or your educational level, what gives you value is not what you do or where you came from, but it's that you were born in the image of God. That's what gives you value. That's what gives us value. The gospel is good news for everyone. And he calls us to tell everyone the good news about Jesus. No matter who they are or where they come from, Jesus is Lord of all. That's why it doesn't matter who walks through these doors or into a small group in our church. Nothing is to divide us. Racially, socially, economically, culturally, we are one body in Christ Jesus. You can be Latino or Asian or African-American or Jamaican or Caucasian, you can be a believer or a non-believer. You can be young, not me anymore, or old. Yeah, that might be me. You can be struggling with anger or rejection or depression. You can have an addiction to alcohol or substances or to porn. You can be depressed or grieving. You can be struggling with guilt or with same-sex attraction. You can be living in the shadow of your past or fearful of your future but you are valuable to God. Every single person means something to God because he made you in his image. You are valuable to him and the new life that he sent his son to give to you will give you meaning beyond what you could imagine. We are here to love people as a church. And we are also here to challenge the sin that destroys people. And so to love effectively means that not only will we love, but we will call out sin. That's what the Bible says. We'll do it in love, I hope. But it's because sin destroys. We can't, we can't see, we can't let that continue because it will destroy you. So as a church, we want to be loving 
We want to show value, but we also want to call out sin that's in our lives. Call it out in me. Call it out in us. By his grace, we want to reflect God's glory and point you and everyone we meet to the fact that his kingdom is better, that his ways are better, that his love is better. Look how Peter described this whole experience. I'm gonna close with this. One chapter over, Acts 11, verse 15. I began to speak and the Holy Spirit fell on them, all those in Cornelius' house, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us, when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? The same gift. The Lord Jesus is building his church today and he is offering the same gift he gave to them on the day of Pentecost and the same gift they received there in Cornelius' house. God's mission of redeeming and reigning is global and his scope is multi-ethnic and multi-diverse in composition. He is grafting into his vine persons from every nation and every tribe and every tongue. I wanna ask us this morning, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you? What is he leading you into that is outside your normal paradigm? Outside your normal context? What blind spots have developed in your walk with him that he is wanting to challenge, to set you free from? What paradigms do you hold currently that he's wanting to shift? Where is the spirit leading you that you thought you'd never go? What cultural norms does he want to adjust in you to make you more useful in his hand? Where are you limited in your understanding of the Holy Spirit and the way that he moves? As we will look at the book of Acts, my earnest prayer is that we don't just get a better understanding of what happened with them, but that we will experience the same move of the Spirit that they did here and now. In our midst, in our families, with our children, with our, with our young people, in our small groups, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, where we are being led by the Spirit into these places and seeing that God is a big God and he can do more than one thing at a time and that he may intersect our lives with the lives of another so that his purposes can be accomplished. If you are his servant today, how does God want to use you that you're not walking in as of yet? I challenge you that the same gift of the Spirit that was there with them. He's here today to fill us, to change us, to empower us, and to fulfill his purpose in us. Amen. My lovely wife, who flew in from out of town early this morning because she wanted to be with us, is gonna come and share 
what is on her heart, and then we're going to pray for you. The worship team, if you'd go ahead and come up, that'd be great. Beth Moore says, you can't be full of the Holy Spirit and full of self. That as the Holy Spirit is active in your life, it, it changes who we are and how we think and what we choose. Um, and Cindy was saying that, that that's how you get transformed, is the keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. And C.S. Lewis says, there is a big difference between the Spirit residing in us, which is true of all people who have accepted Jesus, and the Spirit reigning in us, which is only true of some. Wow. I think the messages that we've had in Acts, the acts of the Holy Spirit, have been such a clear invitation to have more. If you have some, get more. If you have none, get some. But we have to have the Holy Spirit to do any of the things that God is stirring up in us. The things that he is going to do, whether we get in on it or not. But he's offering us to be healed in the doing. Um, to be in his way and on his mission and then find that the things we have prayed for and cried out for and longed for and worried about happened. <laughs> they happened for us while we were concerned about them happening for somebody else. Mm. So my prayer for us today is going to be that we go from being full of the Spirit to having the Spirit reign in us. You know, if you're here today and that's, that just um, touches you where you are, that you want more of the Spirit, um, would you just stand? We're going to pray for anyone that stands where you are. And ask that the Lord would fill you with more, that he would give you more of his Spirit. I love that Donna said, if you don't, what did you, how did you say it? I said, if you don't have, if you have some, have more. And if you have none, get some. That's right. <laughs> if you have some, get more. If you don't have any, get some. Yes, Lord. Let's pray. Father, we hear you calling with your generous offer of the gift of the Holy Spirit. It is ours to receive. Yes, Lord. And you so want us to because you see the end from the beginning and you know the kind of help we need. So Father, I pray for each of us today that whether we've already professed Jesus as our Savior and received the gift of the Holy Spirit or whether that's the step you're asking of us, yes, Lord. that each of us would be able to say, reign in me. That's the only way we're going to be able to hear you, keep in step with you, benefit from all the help that you provide. We have to have the Holy Spirit yes, in the doing of everyday life. That's where the transformation happens. That's where the power to witness happens. And we're grateful that you've already met this need.
So, Father, come yes. in your spirit and take over. Yes, God. Change us from the inside out to lay down our preferences, our prejudices, our interests, our distractions, our coping, our managing. Come reign in us. Yes, Lord.